0: Already expressed. We're so glad that you're here this morning. It's always a joy and it's always a privilege to be able to gather together with the saints of God, to lift our united voices in songs of praise, to unite and in go into the throne of God in prayer. To gather around the table commemorating our suffering Savior and to study from God's Word. And as we study together from God's Word this morning, our heart's desire and our prayer is that. Something we say could be a source of strength and encouragement and edification to you. You'll leave here and you'll be strengthened and builded up in the most holy faith. And as I say on so many, many occasions that you'll say you, it was good to have been in the Lord's house this morning. I have a question for you. Have you ever noticed those road signs that say, Beware of falling rocks? It's a sign you sequ- frequently, frequently free. It's a sign you frequently see driving through the mountainous areas, especially places like Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. And over the years, driving on those mountain roads and through those mountain passes and seeing the sign that says, "Beware of falling rocks." I've often wondered why the sign doesn't say, Beware of fallen rocks. Because for the life of me, I have no idea what you would do if you saw rocks in the act of falling and what you would do about it. You see, the hazard of driving along those roads, where they have those signs, Beware of Falling Rocks, the hazard of driving along those highways is a hazard that no precautions can avoid. Because your rate of speed, the way you handle your automobile, it has nothing to do with it. Whether your tires are good or not is totally insignificant. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a good driver or a bad driver. The hazard is there. And if the rocks start to fall, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, now, let me ask you a question. When you think about driving along a mountain road, and all of a sudden you see those rocks falling, or the sign that says, Beware of Falling Rocks, and then a little further on you see some rocks turn loose from the mountainside and start to come down. Isn't that typical of the troubles we face in life sometimes? The troubles that come to us in life that no amount of caution can avoid. There are situations that come to us that have nothing whatsoever to do with whether our conduct is good or whether our conduct is bad. Insurance people refer to these in insurance policies as acts of God. When they come, they come. And that's just the way it is. You see... The God of heaven, when He created this world, He made certain laws regarding inanimate things. And one of those is this. When rocks turn loose from the side of a mountain, they turn loose. And gravity dictates that those rocks come down the mountain, not that they go up the mountain. And oftentimes, we pause... And we wonder, what should our attitude be toward troubles that come our way? Those troubles that come that there is nothing whatsoever we can do to stop or prevent. Well, most of us, when trouble comes our way, we know what to do, don't we? Of course we do. We worry. That's what we do. We worry. That's our most common response. That's our most common attitude. Are you listening to me? Worry is the most widespread transgression marking our Christian inconsistency. Quite honestly, I do not believe that any of us have ever fully realized just how destructive worry is. We do not comprehend the havoc that worry plays with our lives. It ruins digestion and it causes stomach ulcers. It interferes with sound sleep and forces us to face another day irritable. And unrested. It shortens our temper and makes us snap at those we love. Anxiety and tension are the twins that bring about heart disease, hypertension, and nervous disorders. In Matthew chapter 6, there's quite a full quotation. On this theme that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. And as a part of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, take no thought for the morrow. That is, don't have any anxious or troubled thought for tomorrow. Or as we might say in our common everyday language, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's the precise meaning of Jesus' words. When Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow, Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. And He goes on, He said, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto His stature? You can worry about it all you want to and you cannot make yourself suddenly one foot taller. That's one of the things in life that you and I have to accept. Fretting about how short you might be or how you might be height challenged, as the proper way of saying it today would be, worrying about that doesn't change one thing. If it would, I feel very confident my 4 foot 10 inch daughter-in-law would at least be 5 feet tall. And if fretting about things like your height or your weight changed it, there's a lot of folks I know that would be a lot thinner. I can assure you if fretting about your weight would make you thinner, I would be a lot thinner because my doctors fret about it a lot. More than I do anyway. Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow. If you borrow trouble from tomorrow if you borrow trouble from tomorrow anticipate the difficulties you see or think you see ahead are you any better able to cope with them? if you stay up all night lay awake and toss and turn worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow are you better able to face it then the next day? Worrying about it. Can you keep something pleasant from unha- from happening by worrying about it? Does your worrying about it soften the blow? Does it ease the burden? Does it lessen the pain any? No, it doesn't. But you stand a really good chance of reducing your ability to endure it and take it and get through it. Beloved, to the Christian, worry is really a sin. Turning the searchlight of his penetrating insight and his decisive intellect on the subject of worry, Jesus defines it very simply in Matthew 6. Jesus sees worrying as nothing more or less than a lack of trust in God. Now, to be sure, in these days and times that you and I li- are living in, the the rocks that are falling seem to be very heavy sometimes. And the rocks that are falling seem to be very sinister sometimes. There's terrorism rampant in our world. With the uncompany- accompanying physical uncertainty that it brings. There's uncertainty right now in our own nation over our present economic condition. You turn on the television, you open the news magazines, you look at the internet, and man's inhumanity to man seems to be worse with every passing day. Lawless Mobs are running rampant and have taken over the streets of many of our major cities. And they destroy, they burn, they loot, and they disrupt life with impunity. And with the coming election, there is an uncertainty in the air. What is the future going to be like? You know, along the lines of this election... If you are to believe, if we are to believe the ads that all of the candidates of both political parties are putting out, every candidate on every ballot, Democrat and Republican, is a scoundrel, low-life, worthless individual that needs to be taken out immediately and hanged from the nearest tree. That's what they say about each other. Rocks are falling and rocks will fall. But there's only one way, one happy way, to deal with the rocks that fall on us. And that, folks, is the way of faith. Faith. Faith in the purposes of God. Faith in the presence of God. Faith in the promises of God. And faith in the power of God to deliver us in any trouble. And it's only when we have faith, real faith, that we, you and me, can be free from fear. And if I'm afraid... if you're afraid, then we must suspect that perhaps we do not have a deep faith in God. That rather than having a deep faith in God, our faith is merely a mental assent to the existence and reality of God. A lot of the strain a lot of the tension of modern life, is our unwillingness to accept situations that are beyond our control. When we resist things we cannot change, then we have strain inside. When we resist things we cannot change, then we have inner tension. Do you remember those days when we used to go shopping all the time at Walmart? Do you remember that you would stand in line at Walmart and the line would be five or six people deep? And they would have two check stands open and they would have 18 check stands sitting there idle. And you would stand there like this. Did that open a check stand for you? Huh. It didn't, did it? Or you plan a vacation trip and somebody gets sick and you don't get to take the trip. And you have to postpone it. Does worrying and fuming about it change anything? No, they're still sick and you're still not going on vacation. Or have you ever steamed up inside and fumed just a little bit because something was making you run late? Someone was coming to pick you up and they were running a little bit late and you kept looking at your watch. It got them there quicker, didn't it? Or you went to pick somebody up and they weren't ready. And so like you did at Walmart, you crossed your arms and you patted your foot and you looked at your watch, but it didn't get them ready any faster. You're going to take a plane or train somewhere and the flight gets canceled or the train running late. Worrying about it changes it, doesn't it? You see, all of those things are situations totally out of our control. And it doesn't matter how much we pat our foot, it doesn't matter how many times we look at our watch, it doesn't matter how much grumbling we do, nothing is going to change it. Or maybe a co-worker calls in sick and it increases your workload. You fume, you complain, you moan, and you groan about their lack of consideration, but you still have their workload to do because they're still sick and they're not there. The only thing that changes is your blood pressure and it goes up. Common sense. Common sense tells us to accept the things that we cannot change and go on with our business. Make adjustments to the situation that are necessary and deal with it. Now here's a news flash for you, in case you don't know it. The rocks are going to fall in our lives. The rocks are going to fall in your life, and the rocks are going to fall in my life. We don't know when, and we can't find out for sure when, but they will fall. Count on it. And worrying about it, fearing it, fuming over it, does not help. Life must go on. And so must we. But we can go on without strain. Haven't we all had the experience of a long stretch of uneventful days? A long stretch of unexciting days? Then after a long stretch of uneventful days and a long stretch of unexciting days, suddenly, without warning out of the clear blue sky, some crisis is sprung upon us. At any moment, some calamity can come and bring our dreams crashing down around us. It takes the song out of our life. It makes our hearts sometimes so sore we wonder why it doesn't break. And you know, it wouldn't be so bad if these troubles that come our way would send us a warning. If we could get a letter or an email or a text message, something that says, Hey, I'm trouble, I'm coming to visit. At least then we might be prepared. The reality is, most of them, there would be little, if anything, we could do about it. It's just maybe the shock might not be So great. But troubles don't do that. Troubles are are kind of like the story I read the other day about two cowboys that were out in the desert. They got lost. And they were wandering aimlessly in this parched and barren desert. Their horses died, and they're walking, trudging through the hot sand. They know that that they're certainly going to die. And off in the distance, on a hill, one of them spots a tree. And as they get a little closer, one of these old cowboys says, It's a bacon tree. And he loved bacon. And so he goes running toward the tree as fast as he can. And just as he's almost there, he's gunned down in a hail of bullets. And he dies. But with his dying breath, he warns his partner, he said, It's not a bacon tree, it's a hambush. That's the way troubles are. They hambush us. We think it's a bacon tree and it's a hambush. Troubles don't come marching down the road out in the open. They wait for us in ambush. And they spring out on us when we least expect them. Jesus promised us that in this world we'd have trouble. He said that in John 16, verse 33. In this world you shall have tribulation. But you know what the rest of that verse says? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, cheer up, it's okay, I win. So when the rocks fall, when the trouble comes, we've got the assurance, the promise of the blessing and the comfort of God. The promises of the Scripture, the promises in here, those are not mere pious hopes and sanctified guesses. They're not just sentimental words to be laminated and. Stuck on the wall of a classroom. They're true. And there's no maybe, there's no perhaps about them. How do the Old Testament prophets know that God will not leave us or forsake us? How does the psalmist know that the brokenhearted and afflicted are going to be comforted? Because the prophets of God and the psalmist had gone through dark days and they'd gone through lonely nights. They'd gone through the falling rocks of life and God... Was with them. The oyster teaches us a very valuable lesson, folks. Our treatment of trouble can be splendidly illustrated by the oyster. Into the shell one day comes a tiny grain of sand. It's entered the shell of that oyster as an alien, as an intruder, imposing pain and distress. What can the oyster do in that situation? Metaphorically speaking, the oyster could shake a fist in God's face and the oyster could complain bitterly, Why does this have to happen to me? Why should I suffer so? What have I done to deserve this? Sound familiar? All the billions of oysters up and down the seaboard. Why in the name of higher mathematics did this grain of sand have to come into my shell? The oyster could say, Well, there's just no justice. All this talk of a God of love and mercy... It's just not true. And the oyster could say, metaphorically, since this calamity's overtaken me, I'll just throw away my faith. Because my faith doesn't do any good anyway. The oyster could say all that. The oyster could do all that. Over the years, sadly, I've known a lot of people that did that in times of trouble. But the oyster doesn't. The oyster could adopt an attitude that is commendable and calls for fortitude and courage. The oyster could say, this is a hard calamity that has overtaken me. This thing cuts and hurts and stabs. This grain of sand bruises and bleeds and I must endure. I must hold on if it kills me. I must recognize the darkest hour is just before the dawn. The oyster doesn't really do that either. The oyster recognizes the presence of this grim intruder, this grain of sand, and the oyster begins to do something. Slowly, patiently, with infinite care, the oyster builds on that grain of sand. Layer after layer. Layer upon layer of a plastic, milky substance. A substance that covers every sharp corner. A substance that coats every cutting edge of that grain of sand. And gradually, slowly, by and by, a pearl is made a thing of wondrous beauty wrapped around trouble the oyster abiding by the laws of god turns grains of sand into pearls turns cruel realities and misfortunes into blessings and turns pain and distress into beauty. That's a lesson we are to learn along the pathway of life. And the lesson is the grace of God that is sufficient for us. The grace of God will enable us to make pearls out of the troubles we face. Here are the words of Paul in the 2nd Corinthian letter, chapter 12. I'll begin with verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul was living his life for Jesus a grain of sand that would come into his shell. Paul said, Lord, take it away. Three times Paul said, Lord, take it away. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. I'll take care of you. And by the grace of God, Paul made a pearl out of the sand that came into his life. Paul was living his life. For Jesus Christ. Paul was living his life in the will of God. Jesus Christ was the Lord and the master of his life. The question is, are you living your life in the will of God? Are you living your life with Jesus Christ as Lord and master of your life? Because you see, if you're not living your life with Jesus as the Lord and master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. I don't know what changes might need to be made. But if you need to make changes for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, all of your life, this is your opportunity to do that. Together we stand and while we sing.